credit transactions. Distinguish briefly but clearly between mutuum and comodatum. In mutuum, the object borrowed must be a consumable thing, the ownership of which is transferred to the borrower who incurs the obligation to return the same consumable to the lender in an equal amount and of the same kind and quality. In comodatum, the object borrowed is usually a non-consumable thing, the ownership of which is not transferred to the borrower who incurs the obligation to return the very thing to the lender. Question. Before he left for Riyadh to work as a mechanic, Pedro left his adventure van with Tito, with understanding that the latter could see uh, use it for one year for his personal or family use while Pedro works in Riyadh. He did not tell Tito that the brakes of the van were faulty. Tito had the van turned up, uh, turn up and the brakes repaired. He spent a total amount of 15,000 pesos. After using the vehicle for two weeks, Tito discovered that it consumed too much fuel. To make up for the expenses, he leased it to Annabelle. Two months later, Pedro returned to the Philippines and asked Tito to return the van. Unfortunately, while being driven by Tito, the van was accidentally damaged by a cargo truck without its fault. Who shall bear the 15,000 spent for the repair of the van? The contract between Pedro and Tito is one of comodatum. Of the 15,000 spent, Pedro, the bailor, shall bear the expenses for the repair of that faulty uh, brakes. They being extraordinary expenses incurred due to the non-disclosure by the bailor of the defect or fault. Tito, on the other hand, shall shoulder that part of the 15,000 spent for the tune-up uh, said expense being ordinary for the use and preservation of the van. Who shall bear the cost for the van's fuel, oil, and other materials while it was with Tito? The cost for the fuel and other materials are considered ordinary expenses and consequently Tito the Bailey shall shoulder them. Does Pedro have the right to retrieve the van even before the lapse of one year? No, Pedro cannot demand the return of the van until after the expiration of the one-year period stipulated. However, if in the meantime he should have urgent need of the van, he may demand its return or temporary use. Who shall bear the expenses for the accidental damage caused by the cargo truck, granting that the truck driver and truck owner are insolvent? Both Tito and Pedro shall bear equally the cost of the extraordinary expenses, having been incurred on the occasion of actual use of the van by Tito, the Bailey, even though he acted without fault. Distinguish between usufruct from comodatum. Usufruct is a right given to a person, the usufructuary, to enjoy the property of another with the obligation of preserving its form and substance. On the other hand, comodatum is contract by which one of the parties, the bailors, delivers to another, the bailey, something not consumable to so that the latter may use it for a certain time and return it. In usufruct, the usufructuary gets the right to the use and to the fruits of the same, while in comodatum, the bailey may only acquires the use of the thing loaned but not its fruit. Usufruct may be constituted on the wall or a part of the truths of the thing. It may even be constituted over consumables like money. On the other hand, in comodatum, consumable goods may be subject thereof only when the purpose of the contract is not the consumption of the object as when it is merely for exhibition. In the province, 
A farmer ko, Paul, borrowed money from the local merchant to guarantee payment. They left the torrent's title of their land with the merchant for him to hold until they pay the loan. Is there a contract of place, contract of mortgage, contract of anti-crisis, or none of the above? None of the above. There is no pledge because pledge uh, only movable property may be pledged. If at all there was a pledge of the paper or document constituting the torrent's title as movable by itself but not of the land which the title represents. There is no mortgage because no deed or contract was executed in the manner required by law for mortgage. There is no contract of anti-crisis because no right to the fruits of the property was given to the creditor. A contract of simple loan was entered into with security arrangement agreed upon by the parties, which is not one of those mentioned above. Contract of simple loan. The parties in a contract of loan of money agreed that the yearly interest rate is 12% and it can be increased if there is a law that would authorize the increase of interest rates. Suppose OB, the lender, would increase by 5% the rate of interest to be paid by TY. The borrower without a law authorizing such increase, would OB's action uh, be just and valid? Why? Has TY have a remedy against the imposition of the rate increase? OB's action is not just and valid. The debtor cannot be required to pay uh, the increase in interest, there being no law authorizing it, as stipulated in the contract of loan. Increasing the rate in the absence of such law violates the principle of mutuality of contracts under Article 1308. A. Upon request, loan his passenger jeepney to be to enable B to bring uh, his sick wife from Paniquitarlac to the Philippine General Hospital in Manila for trans treatment. On the, on the way back to Paniki, after leaving his wife at the hospital, people stopped the passenger jeepney. B stopped for them and allowed them to ride on board, accepting payment from them, just as in the case of ordinary passenger jeepneys plying their road. As B was crossing Bamban, there was an onrush of labor or uh, of lahar from Mount Pinatubo. The jeep that was loaned to him was wrecked. What do you call the contract that was entered into A and B with respect to the passenger jeepney that was loaned by A to B to transport the latter's sick wife to Manila? The contract is called Comodatum. Is B obliged to pay A for the use of the passenger jeepney? No, B is not obliged to pay A for the use of the passenger jeepney because Comodatum is essentially gratuitous. If B Liable to A for the loss of the jeepney? Yes, because B devoted the thing to a purpose different from that uh, that for which it has been loaned. With regard to an award of interest in the concept of actual and compensatory damages, please state the guidelines regarding the manner of computing legal interest in the following situations. When the obligation is breached and it consists in the payment of a sum of money like a loan or forbearance of money, when the obligation is or when the obligation is breached and it consists in the payment of sum of money like a loan or forbearance of money, in the absence of stipulation, the rate of interest shall be the legal rate of 6% per annum, which was increased to 12% per NB Circular number 905, series of 1982, to be computed from default. The 12% per annum legal interest shall apply only until June 30, 2013. From July 1, 2013, the new rate of 6% per annum shall be the prevailing rate of interest when applicable.
when the obligation does not constitute a loan or forbearance of money. The interest on the amount of damages awarded may be imposed at the discretion of the court at the rate of 6% per annum. No interest, however, shall be adjudged on a liquidated claim or damages except when or until the demand can be established with reasonable uncertainty. Accordingly, where the demand is established with reasonable certainty, the interest shall begin to run from the time the claim is made judicially or extrajudicially. But when such certainty cannot be so unreasonably established at the time the demand is made, the interest shall begin to run only from the date the judgment of the court is made, at which time the quantification of damages may be deemed to have been reasonably ascertained. The actual base for the computation of legal interest shall, in any case, be on the amount finally adjudged. Deposit In order to secure a bank loan, XYZ Corporation surrendered its deposit certificate with a maturity date of September 197 to the bank. The corporation defaulted on the due repayment of the loan, prompting the bank to incast the deposit certificate. XYZ Corporation questioned the above action taken by the bank as being a case of pactum commissurum. The bank disagreed. What is your opinion? There is no pactum commissurum. Here, deposits of money in banks and similar institutions are governed by the provisions on simple loans. The relationship between the depositor and the bank is one of a creditor and debtor. Basically, this is a matter of compensation as all the elements of compensation are present in this case. X, who has savings deposits with Y Bank in the sum of 1 million, incurs a loan obligation with the said bank in the sum of 800,000, which was become due. When X tries to withdraw his deposit, Y Bank allows only 200,000 to be withdrawn, less service charges, claiming that compensation has extinguished its obligation under the savings account to the concurrent amount of X debt. X contends that Compensation is improper when one of the debts, as here, arises from a contract of deposit, assuming that the promissory note signed by X to evidence the loan does not provide for compensation between said loan and his savings deposits, who is correct. Why bank is correct? Article 1287 of the Civil Code does not apply. All the requisites of Article uh, 1279 are present. In the case of Gullias v. PNB, the Supreme Court held. The Civil Code contains provisions regarding compensation or set-off and deposit. These portions of Philippine law provides that compensation shall take place when two persons are reciprocally creditor and debtor of each other. In this connection, it has been held that the relation existing between a depositor and a bank is that of creditor and debtor. As a general rule, a bank has a right to offset off of the deposits in its hands for the payment of any indebtedness to it on the part of a depositor. Hence, compensation took place between the mutual obligation of X and Y Bank. Guarantee and Shortship What is the difference between guarantee and shortship? The obligation in guarantee is secondary, whereas in shortship it is primary. In guarantee, the undertaking is to pay if the principal debtor cannot pay, whereas in shortship, the undertaking is to pay if the principal debtor does not pay. In guarantee, the guarantor is entitled to the benefit of excursion, whereas in shortship, the surety is not entitled. Liability and guarantee depends upon an independent agreement to pay the obligations of the principal if he falls to do so, whereas 
and suretyship, the surety assumes liability as a regular party. The guarantor ensures the solvency of the principal debtor, whereas the surety ensures the debt. In guarantee, the guarantor is subsidiarily liable, whereas in suretyship, the surety binds himself solidarity or solidarity with the principal debtor. AB sold to CD a motor vehicle for in consideration of 120,000 pesos to be paid and 12 monthly equal installments of 10,000. Its installment being due and payable on the 15th day of its month starting January 97. To secure the promissory note, CD executed a chattel mortgage on the subject motor vehicle and furnished a surety bond issued by Pilam Life. CD failed to pay more than two installments. AB went after the surety but he was only able to obtain three-fourths of the total amount still due and owing from CD. AB seeks your advice on how he might, if at all, recover the deficiency. How would you counsel? Yes, he can recover the deficiency. The action of ABS to go after the suretyship bond cannot be taken to mean a waiver of his right to demand payment for the whole debt. The amount received from the surety is only payment pro tanto and an action may be maintained for a deficiency debt. Quasi-contract In fear of reprisals from lawless elements, besieging his barangay, ex abandoned his fish pan, filed to Manila and left for Europe, seeking that the fish in the fish pond were ready for harvest, while who is in the business of managing fish bands on a commission basis took possession of the property, harvested the fish, and sold the entire harvest to Z. Thereafter, Y borrowed money from W and used the money to buy new supplies of fish, fry, and to prepare the fish band for the next crop. What is the judicial relation between X and Y during X's absence? The judicial relation is that of the quasi-contract or negotiorum gestio. Y is the gestor or officious manager and X is the owner. Upon the return of X to the barangay, what are the obligations of Y to X as regards the contract with Z? Y must render an account of his operations and deliver to X the price he received for the sale of the harvested fish. Upon X return, what are the obligations of X as regards Y's contract with W. X must pay the loan obtained by Y from W because X must answer for obligations contracted with third persons in the interest of the owner. What legal effects will result if X expressly ratifies Y's management and what would be the obligation of X in favor of Y? Express ratification of X provides the effects of an express agency and X is liable to pay the commission habitually received by the gestor as, uh, as manager. In September 1972, upon declaration of martial rule in the Philippines, A, together with his wife and children, disappeared from his residence along Mabini Street, Ermita. B, his immediate neighbor, noticing that mysterious disappearance of A and his family, closed the doors and windows of his house to prevent it from being burglarized. Years passed without B hearing from A and his family, B continued taking care of A's house, even causing minor repairs to be done at his house to preserve it. 
1976 when business began to perk up in the area, an enterprising man, C, approached B and proposed that they build stores at the ground floor of the house and convert its second floor into a pension house. B agreed to C's proposal and together they spent for the construction of stores at the ground floor and the conversion of the second floor into a pension house. While construction was going on, fire occurred at a nearby house. The houses of the entire block, including A's, were burned. After the AIDS revolution in February 86, A and his family returned from the U.S. where they took refuge in 1972. Upon learning of what happened to his house, A should be for damages. B pleaded as a defense that he merely took charge of his house under the principle of negotiarum gestio. He was not liable as the burning of the house is a fortuitous event. Is B liable to A for damages under the foregoing circumstances? He would be liable under Article 2147 because he used the property for an operation which the operator is not accustomed to and in so doing, he exposed them house to increased risk, namely the operation of a pension house on the second floor and stores on the first floor. Armando owns a row of residential apartments in San Juan, Manila, which he rents out to tenants. On April 191, he left for the U.S. without appointing any administrator to manage his apartments, such that uncollected rentals accumulated for three years. Amparo, a niece of Armando, concerned with the interest of her uncle, took it upon herself to administer the property. As a consequence, he incurred expenses in collecting the rents and in some instances even spent for necessary repairs to preserve the property. What juridical relation between Amparo and Armando, if any, has resulted from Amparo's unilateral act of assuming the administration of Armando's apartments? Negociorum gesture existed between Amparo and Armando. She voluntarily took charge of the agency or management of the business or property of her uncle without any power from her uncle whose property was neglected. She is called the gestor negociorum or officious manager. What rights and obligations, if any, does Amparo have under the circumstances? The following provisions state the rights and obligations of Amparo. The officious manager shall perform his duties with all the diligence of a good father of a family and pay the damages which through his fault or negligence may be suffered by the owner of the property or business under management. The courts may however increase or moderate the indemnity according to the circumstances of its case. Article 2146 if the officious manager delegates to another person all or some of his duties, he shall be liable for the acts of the delegate without prejudice to the direct obligation of the latter towards the owner of the business. The responsibility of two or more officious managers shall be solidarily unless management was assumed to save the things or business from imminent danger. Article 2147. The officious manager shall be liable for any fortuitous event if he undertakes risky operations which the owner was not accustomed to embark upon, if he has preferred his own interest to that of the owner, if he fails to return the property or business after demand by the owner, and if he assumes the management in bad faith. Article 2148. Except when the management was assumed to save the property or business from imminent danger, the officious manager shall be liable for fortuitous events. 1. If he is manifestly unpaid to carry on the management. 2. If by his intervention and prevented a more competent person from taking up the management. Article 2149. The ratification of the management by the owner of the business produces the effects of an express agency, even if the business may not have been successful. 
Article 2150. Although the officious management may not have been expressly certified, the owner, uh, the owner of the property or business who enjoys the advantages of the same shall be liable for obligations incurred in his interest and shall reimburse the officious manager for the necessary and useful expenses and for the damages which the latter may have suffered in the performance of his duties. The same obligation shall be incumbent upon him when the management had for its purpose the prevention of an imminent and manifest loss, although no benefit may have been derived. And Article 2.151, even though the owner did not derive any benefit and there has been no imminent and manifest danger to the property or business, the owner is liable as under the first paragraph of the preceding article, provided the officious manager has acted in good faith, the property or business is intact, ready to be returned to the owner. Article 2.152, the officious manager is personally liable for contracts which he has entered into with third persons, even though he acted in the name of the owner and there shall be no right of action between the owner and third persons. This provision shall not apply if the owner has expressly or tacitly ratified the management or when the contract refers to things pertaining to the owner of the business. BPO went to a store to buy a pack of cigarettes worth 225 pesos only. He gave the vendor RRA a 500 pesos bill. The vendor gave him a pack plus 375 chains. Was there a discount, an oversight, or an error in the amount given? What would be DPO's duty? If any, in case of an excess in the amount of chains given by the vendor, how is this situated relationship between DPO and RRA denominated? There was error in the amount of change given by RRA. This is a case of solutio in the BT, and that DPO received something that is not due him. He has the obligation to return the 100 pesos, otherwise he will unjustly enrich himself at the expense of RRA. DPO has, has the duty to return to RRA the uh, excess 100 as trustee under Article 1456 of the Civil Code which provides if property is acquired through mistake or fraud, the person obtaining it is by force of law considered a trustee of an implied trust for the benefit of the person from whom the property comes. There is in this case an implied or constructive trust in favor of RRA. Torts. In liability for torts, mechanical defects of a motor vehicle do not constitute fortuitous event, since the presence of such defects would have been readily detected by diligent maintenance check. The failure to maintain the vehicles in safe running condition constitute negligence. As a general principle, a public officer is not liable for acts performed in the discharge of his duties. The exception are when he acted with malice, bad faith, or gross negligence in the performance of his duty or when his act is in violation of the constitutionally guaranteed rights and liberties of a person under Article 32. The public officer is not automatically considered to have violated the right or liberties of a person simply because the rule uh, the public officer issues was declared invalid by the court. The complainant must still allege and prove the particular injury or prejudice he has <clears throat> suffered from the violation of his constitutional right by issuance of the invalidated rule. The problem does not state any fact from which any malice, bad faith, or uh, gross negligence on the part of Binchon Chato 
<clears throat> may be impaired or that particular injury or prejudice the complainant may have suffered as a result of the violation of his constitutional right. Hence, he cannot be held liable. The facts presented are similar to the facts of the case of Vincent Chateau versus Fortune. Tony bought a port expedition from a car dealer in Montelupa. As payment, Tony issued a check drawn against his current account with Premium Bank. Since he has a good reputation, the car dealer allowed him to immediately drive home the vehicle merely on his assurance that his check is sufficiently funded. When the car dealer deposited the check, it was dishonored on the ground uh, of account uh, close. After an investigation, it was found that <clears throat> An employee of the bank misplaced Tony's account ledger. Thus, the bank erroneously assumed that his account no longer exists. Later, it turned out that Tony's account has more than uh, sufficient funds to cover the check. The dealer, however, immediately filed an action for recovery of possession of the vehicle against Tony for which he was terribly humiliated and embarrassed. Does Tony have a cause of action against Premium Bank? Yes, Tony may file an action against Premium Bank for damages under Article 2176. Even there exists a contractual relationship between Tony and Premium Bank, an action for quasi-delic may nonetheless prosper. The Supreme Court has consistently ruled that the act that breaks the contract may also be a tort. There is a fiduciary relationship between the bank and the depositor, imposing utmost diligence in managing the accounts of the depositor. That is, uh, the dishonor of the check adversely affected the credit standing of Tony, hence he is entitled to damages. OG was employed as professional driver of MM Transit bus owned by Mr. BT. In the course of his work, OG hit a pedestrian who was seriously injured and later died in the hospital as a result of the accident. The victim ears sued and, uh, the driver and the owner of the bus for damages. Is there a presumption in this case that Mr. BT, the owner, had been negligent? If so, is the presumption of a salute or not? Yes. There is a presumption of negligence on the part of the employer. However, such presumption is rebutable. The liability of the employer shall cease when they prove that they observe the diligence of a good father of a family to prevent damage. When the employee causes damage due to his own negligence while performing his own duties, there arises the juristantum presumption that the employer is negligent, rebutable only by proof of observance of the diligence of a good father of a family. Likewise, if the driver is charged and convicted in a criminal case for criminal negligence, BT is subsidiarily liable for the damages arising from the criminal act. Silvestri leased a car from Abyss Rent-A-Car Company uh, at the Mactan International Airport. No sooner had the driver the car outside the airport when, due to his negligence, he bumped an FX taxi owned and driven by Victor, causing damage to the latter in the amount of 100000 Victor filed an action for damages against both Silvestri and Avis based on quasi-delic. Avis filed a motion to dismiss the complaint against it on the ground of failure to state a cause of action. Resolve the motion. The motion to dismiss should be granted. Avis is not the employer of Silvestri. Hence, there is no right of action against Avis under Article 2180. Not being the employer, Avis has no duty to supervise Silvestri. Neither has Abyss the duty to observe due diligence in the selection of his customers. Besides, it was given in the problem that the cause of the accident was the negligence of Silvestre. Mabuhay Elementary School organized a field trip for the grade 6 students in Port Santiago, Manila Sioux and Star City to be able to join the parents of the students had to sign a piece of paper that reads as follows. I allow my child 
uh, to join the school speed trip. I will not file any claim against the school administrator or teacher in case something happens to my child during the trip. Joey, a 7-year-old student of Mabuhay Elementary School, was beaten by a snake while the group was touring Manila Zoo. The parents of Joey sued the school for damages. The school, as a defense, presented the waiver signed by Joey's parents. No, there was no valid waiver of the right to sue the school. A waiver to be valid must have three requisites. One, existence of the right, legal capacity of the person waiving the right, and the waiver must not be contrary to law, morals, good customs, public order, or public policy, or prejudicial to other persons with a right recognized by law. In the case presented, the waiver may be considered contrary to public policy as it exonerates the school from liability for future negligence. The waiver, in effect, allows the school to not exercise even ordinary diligence. Arturo sold his Pajero to Binamin for 1 million. Binamin took the vehicle but not registered the sale with the Land Transportation Office. He allowed his son, Carlos, a minor, to drive that uh, recklessly uh, bump or sideswipe Dennis, then riding a bicycle. As a result, he suffered serious physical injuries. Dennis filed a criminal complaint against Carlos for reckless imprudence resulting in serious physical injuries. Can Dennis file an independent civil action against Carlos and his father, Binamin, for damages based on quasi-delic? Yes, Dennis can file an independent action, uh, civil action against Carlos and his father for damages based on quasi-delic there being an act or omission causing damage to another without contractual obligation. Under Section 1, Rule 111 of the Rules of Criminal Procedure, what is deemed instituted with the criminal action is only the action to recover civil liability arising from the act or omission punished by law. An action based on quasi-delict is no longer deemed instituted and may be filed separately. Assuming Dennis' action is tenable, can Benamin raise the defense that he is not liable because the vehicle is not registered in his name? No, Benamin cannot raise the defense that the vehicle is not registered in his name. His liability, vicarious in character, is based on Article 2180 because he is the father of a minor who caused damage due to negligence. While the suit will prosper against the registered owner, it is the actual owner of the private vehicle who is ultimately liable. The purpose of a car registration is reduce difficulty in identifying the party liable in case of accidents. As a result of a collision between the taxi cab owned by A and another taxi cab owned by B, X, a passenger of the first taxi cab, was seriously injured. X later filed a criminal action against both drivers. May both taxi cab owners raise the defense of due diligence in the selection and supervision of their drivers to be absolved from liability for damages to X? It depends. If the civil action is based on a quasi-delic, the taxi cab owners may raise the defense of diligence of a good father of a family in the selection and supervision of the driver. If the action against is based on culpa, contractual or civil liability arising from a crime, they cannot raise the defense. If it is necessary for X to reserve his right to institute a civil action for damages against both taxi cab owners before he can file a civil action for damages against them, it depends. If the separate civil action is to recover damages arising from the criminal act, reservation is necessary. If the civil action against the taxi cab owners is based on culpa contractual or on quasi-delict, there is no need for reservation. Primo owns a pet iguana which he keeps in a man-made pond enclosed by a fence situated in his residential lot. 
a typhoon knocked down the fence of the pond and the iguana crawled out of the gate of Primo's residence and a neighbor who was passing by started throwing stones at the iguana, drawing the iguana to move toward him and panicked and ran but tripped on something and suffered a broken leg. Is anyone liable for ends explain, uh, injuries? No, no one is liable. The possessor of an animal or whoever may make use of the same is responsible for the damage it may cause, although it may escape or be lost. This responsibility shall cease only in case the damage should come from force major or from fault of the person who was suffered damage. A driver of a bus owned by company Ziran over a boy who died instantly. A criminal case for reckless imprudence resulting in homicide was filed against the driver. He was convicted and was ordered to pay $2 million in actual and moral damages to the parents of the boy who was an honor student and had a bright future without even trying to find out if the driver had assets or means to pay the award of damages. The parents of the boy filed a civil action against the bus company to make it directly liable for the damages. Will their action prosper? Yes, the action will prosper. The liability of the employer in this case may be based on quasi-delic and is included within the coverage of independent civil action. It is not necessary to enforce the civil liability based on culpa aquiliana that the driver or employers be proven to be insolvent since the liability of the employer for the quasi-delic committed by their employees is direct and primary subject to the defense of the due diligence on their part. If the parents of the boy do not wish to file a separate civil action against the bus company, can they still make the bus company liable if the driver cannot pay the award for damages? If so, what is the nature of the employer's liability and how may civil damages be satisfied? Yes, the parents of the boy can enforce the subsidiary liability of the employer in the criminal case against the driver. The conviction of the driver is a condition sine qua non for the subsidiary liability of the employer to attach. Proof must be shown that the driver is insolvent. Roman was bumped by a minivan owned by the Solomon School of Practical Arts. The minivan was driven by Peter. A student assistant whose assignment was to clean the school passenger ways daily one hour before and one hour after regular classes in exchange for free tuition. Peter was able to drive the school vehicle after persuading the regular driver, Paul, to turn over the wheel to him, Peter. Romano suffered serious physical injuries. The accident happened at night when only one headlight of the vehicle was functioning and Peter only had a student driver's permit. As a consequence, Peter was convicted in the criminal case. Thereafter, Romano sued for damages against Peter and the school. Will the action for damages against Peter and the school prosper? Yes, it will prosper because at the time he drove the vehicle, he was not performing his assigned task as provided for by Article 2180 with respect to the school. It is not liable for the acts of Peter because the latter was not an employee as held by Supreme Court in Pilamer Christian Institute versus CA. Peter belongs to a special category of students who render service to the school in exchange for free tuition. Will your answer be the same if Paul, the regular driver, was impleted as a party dependent for allowing Peter to drive the minivan without a regular driver's license? 
I would maintain the same answer because the incident did not occur while the employee was in the performance of his duty as such employee. The incident occurred at night time and in any case, there was no indication in the problem that he was performing his duties as a driver. Is the exercise of due diligence in the selection and supervision of Peter and Paul a material issue to be resolved in this case? In the case of Peter, if he were to be considered as employee, the exercise of due diligence in the selection and supervision of Peter would not be a material issue since the conviction of Peter would result in a subsidiary liability where the defense would not be available by the employer. In the case of Paul, since the basis of subsidiary liability is the uh, pater familias rule under Article 2180, the defense of selection and supervision of the employee would be a valid defense. After working overtime up to midnight, Alberto, an executive of an insurance company, drove a company vehicle to a favorite video key bar where he had some drinks and uh, sang some songs with friends to unwind. At 2 a.m., he drove home, but in doing so, he bumped a tricycle, resulting in the death of its driver. May the insurance company be held liable for the negligent act of Alberto Y. The insurance com company is not liable because when the accident occurred, Alberto was not acting within the assigned task of his employment. It is true that under Article 2180, employers are liable for damages caused by their employees who were acting within the scope of their assigned task. However, the mere fact that Alberto was using a service vehicle of the employer at the time of the injurious accident does not necessarily mean that he was operating the vehicle within the scope of his employment. In Castilex Industrial Corporation versus Vasquez, the Supreme Court held that notwithstanding the fact that the employee did some overtime work for the company, the former was nevertheless engaged in his own affairs or carrying out a personal purpose when he went to a restaurant at 2 a.m. After coming out from work, the time of the accident, also 2 a.m., was outside uh, normal working hours. Under the law on quasi-delic, aside from the person who caused injury to persons, who else are liable under the following circumstances? When seven-year-old boy injures his playmate while playing with his father's rifle, the parents of a seven-year-old boy who caused injury to his playmates are liable under Article 219 in relation to Article 2180 since they exercise parental authority over the person of the boy. When a domestic helper, while uh, haggling for a lower price with a fish vendor in the course of buying foodstuffs for her employer's family, slaps the fish vendor causing her to fall and sustain injuries, Employer of the domestic helper who slapped a fish vendor under Article 2180, Paragraph 5, employers shall be liable for the damages caused by their employees and household helpers acting within the scope of their assigned tasks even though the former are not engaged in any business or industry. A carpenter in construction company accidentally hits the right foot of his co-worker with a hammer. The owner of the construction company, Article 2180, Paragraph 4, states that the owners and managers of an establishment or enterprise are likewise responsible for damages caused by their employees in the service of the branches in which the latter are employed or on the occasion of their functions. A 15-year-old high school student stabbed his classmate who his rival for a girl where they were going out of the classroom after the last class. 
the school, teacher, and administrator as the exercise special parental authority. What defense, if any, is available to them? The defense that might be available to them is the observance of a good father of the family to prevent the damage. On May 5, 1989, a 16-year-old, Rosano, was issued a student permit, drove to school a car, a gift from his parents. On even that, as his class was scheduled to go on field trip, his teacher requested him to accommodate his in his car as he did four of his classmates because the van rented by the school was too crowded. On the way to a museum which the students were scheduled to visit, Rosano made a wrong maneuver causing a collision with a jeepney. One of his classmates died. He and the three others were badly injured. Who is liable for the death of Rosano's classmates and the injuries suffered by Rosano and his three other classmates? At the time of the incident occurred in May 1989, Rosano was still a minor. Being a minor, Article 218 applies. Pursuant to it, the school, its administrators, and teachers shall be liable for the acts of minor uh, Rosano because of the special parental authority and responsibility that they exercise over him. The authority applies to all authorized activities, whether inside or outside the premises of the school, entity, or institution. The field trip on which occasion Rosano drove the car was an authorized activity and thus covered by the provision. Furthermore, the parents of Rosano are subsidiarily liable pursuant to Article 219 and principally liable under Article 221 if they are negligent. How about the damage to the jeepney? With respect to the damage caused to the jeepney, only Rosano should be held liable because his negligence or toothless act was the sole proximate and immediate cause thereof. Under the same facts except the date of occurrence of the incident, this time in mid-1994, what would be your answer? Since Rome Rosano was 16 years old in 1989, if the incident happened sometimes in the middle of 1994, Rosano had been 21 years old at the time, hence he was already of legal age. The law reducing the age of majority to 18 years took effect in December 1989. Being of legal age, Article 218, 219, and 221 are no longer applicable. In such case, Rosano will be personally responsible for all the consequences of his act unless his school or his parents were themselves also negligent and such negligence contributed to the happening of the incident. In that event, the school or his parents are not liable under Article 218 or 219 or 221 but will be liable under general provisions on the Civil Code on Quasi-Delict. Dr. Jack, a surgeon holds clinic in the St. Vincent Hospital and pays rent to the hospital. The fees of Dr. Jack are paid directly to him by the patient or uh, through the cashier of the hospital. The hospital publicly displays in the lobby the names and specializations of the doctors associated or accredited by it, including that Dr. Jack. Marta engaged the services of Dr. Jack because of recurring stomach pain. It was diagnosed that she is suffering from cancer and had to be operated on. Before the operation, she was asked to sign a consent for hospital care, which reads, Permission is hereby given to the medical nursing and laboratory staff of the St. Vincent's Hospital to perform such procedure and to administer such medication and treatments as may be deemed necessary or advisable by the physicians of the hospital for and during the confinement. After the surgery, the attending nurses reported that two sponsors were missing. Later, Marta died due to complications brought about by the sponsors that were left in her stomachs. 
The husband of Marta sued the hospital and Dr. Jack for damages arising from negligence in the medical procedure. The hospital raised the defense that Dr. Jack is not its employee as it did not hire Dr. Jack nor pay him any salary or compensation. It has absolutely no control over the medical services and treatment being provided by Dr. Jack. Dr. Jack even signed an agreement that he holds the hospital free and harmless from any liability arising from his medical practice in the hospital. Is St. Vincent Hospital liable for the negligence? Yes, St. Vincent Hospital is liable. In the case of professional service versus Agana, the Supreme Court held that the hospital is liable to the Aganas not under the principle of respondent superior for lack of evidence of an employer-employee relationship with Dr. Amphil, but under the principle of ostensible agency for the negligence of Dr. Ampil pro vice under the principle of corporate negligence for its failure to perform its duties as a hospital. With it, it's true that there was insufficient evidence that St. Vincent Hospital exercised the power of control or withheld such power over the means and the details of the specific process by which Dr. Jack applied his skills and Maria's treatment on Maria's treatment. There is ample evidence that St. Vincent Hospital held out the patient, Marta, that Dr. Jack was the agent, principal of ostensible agency. The two factors that determine apparent authority are present. One, the hospital's implied manifestation to the patient which led the latter to conclude that the doctor was the hospital's agent. And two, the patient's reliance upon the conduct of the hospital and the doctor considered with ordinary care and prudence. The corporate negligence ascribed to St. Vincent Hospital is different from the medical negligence attributed to Dr. Jack. The duties of the hospital are distinct from those of the doctor or consultant practicing within its premises in relation to the patient. Hence, the failure of St. Vincent's Hospital to fulfill its duties as a hospital corporation gives rise to a direct liability to Marta distinct from that of Dr. Jack. Explain the following concept and doctrines and give an example of its concept of trust disontort or constructive trust and doctrine of discovered peril, last clear chance. A constructive trust is a trust not created by any word or phrase, either expressly or implied, evincing a direct intention to create a trust, but is one that arises in order to satisfy the demands of justice. It does not come about by agreement or intention, but mainly operation of law and construed as a trust against one who, by fraud, duress, or abuse of confidence, obtains or holds the legal right to property which he ought not in equity and good conscience to hold. The following are examples of constructive trust. Under Article 1455, provides, If property is acquired through mistake or fraud, the person obtaining it is by force of law considered a trustee of an implied trust for the benefit of the person for whom the property comes. Article 1451, which provides, when land passes by succession through any person and he causes the legal title to be put in the name of another, a trust is established by implication of law for the benefit of the trust owner. Article 1454, which provides, if an absolute conveyance of property is made in order to secure the performance of an obligation of the grantor toward the grantee, a trust by virtue of law is established. If the fulfillment of the obligation is offered by the grantee when it becomes due, he may demand the reconveyance of the property to him. Article 1455, 
which provides when any trustee guardian or any person holding a fiduciary relationship uses trust funds for the purchase of property and causes conveyance to be made to him or to third person, a trust as established by operation of law in favor of the person to whom the funds belong. Doctrine of Last Clear Chance states that where the plaintiff was guilty of prior or antecedent negligence, but the defendant who had the ultimate opportunity to avoid the impending harm failed to do so, it is the defendant who is liable for all the consequences of the accident notwithstanding the prior negligence of the plaintiff. An example is where a person was riding a pony on a bridge and improperly pulled the pony to the wrong side when he saw a car coming. The driver of the car did not stop or change direction and nearly hit the horse and the frightened animal jumped to its death. The driver of the car is guilty of negligence because he had a fair opportunity to avoid the accident and failed to avail himself of that opportunity. He is liable under the doctrine of last clear chance. Picard versus Smith Mr. and Mrs. R. owns a burnout building. The viral of which collapsed and destroyed the shop occupied by the family of Mr. and Mrs. S., which resulted in injuries to said couple, and the date of their daughter, Mr. and Mrs. S., had been warned by Mr. and Mrs. R. to vacate the shop in view of its proximity to the weekend wall, but the former failed to do so. Mr. and Mrs. S. filed against Mr. and Mrs. R. an action for recovery of damage the former suffered as a result of the collapse of the firewall. In defense, Mr. and Mrs. R. rely on the doctrine of last clear chance, alleging that Mr. and Mrs. S. had the last clear chance to avoid the accident if only they heeded the former's warning to vacate the shop, and therefore Mr. and Mrs. R.'s prior negligence should be disregarded. If you were the judge, how would you decide the case? I would decide in favor of Mr. and Mrs. S. The proprietor of a building or structure is responsible for the damage resulting from the total or partial collapse if it should be due to the lack of necessary repairs. As regards to the defense of last clear chance, the same is not tenable because according to the Supreme Court, the doctrine of last clear chance is not applicable to instances covered by Article 2190. The rule of the common law last clear chance doctrine in relation to Article 279 is merely to mitigate damages within the context of contributory negligence. Vicarious Liability in Quasi-Delics The doctrine of vicarious liability is that which renders a person liable for the negligence of others for whose acts or omission the law makes him responsible on the theory that they are under his control and supervision. Moral damages can be recovered, which is attributed to non-performance of a mitigation. In Alitalia Airways vs. CA, when an airline issues ticket to a passenger confirmed on a particular flight, a contract of carriage arises and the passenger expects that he would fly on that day. When the airline deliberately overbooked, it took the risk of having to deprive some passengers of their seat in case all of them would show up. For the indignity and inconvenience of being refused the confirmed seat, said passenger is entitled to moral damages. In the given problem, spouses Amida had a book round-trip business class, a ticket with Pinoy Airlines, when their tickets were upgraded to first class without their consent. Pinoy Airlines breached the contract. As a rule in Sudeta versus Pan-American, 
in case of over overbooking airline is in bad faith therefore spouse almida uh, are entitled to damages damages Johnny Maton's conviction for homicide was affirmed by the Court of Appeals and addition, although the persecution had not appealed at all, the appellate court increased the indemnity for death from 30000 to 50000 On his appeal to the Supreme Court, among the other things Johnny Maton brought to the High Court's attention was the increase of indemnity imposed by the Court of Appeals, despite the clear fact that the people had not appealed from the appellate court's judgment. Is Johnny Maton's correct? In Abiham versus CA, the Supreme Court said that even if the issue of damages were not raised by the appellant in the Court of Appeals, but the Court of Appeals in its findings increased the damages, the Supreme Court will not disturb the findings of the Court of Appeals. Romel's private car, while being driven by the regular family driver, Amado hits a pedestrian, causing the latter's death. Romel is not in the car when the incident happened. Is Romel liable for damages to the heirs of the deceased? Yes, Romel may be held liable for the damages if he fails to prove that he exercised the diligence of a good father of a family in selecting and supervising his family driver. The owner is presumed liable unless he proves the defense of diligence. If the driver was performing his assigned task when the accident happened, Romel shall be solidarily liable with the driver. In case the driver is convicted of reckless imprudence and cannot pay the civil liability, Rommel is subsidiary liable for the damage awarded against the driver and the defense of diligence is not available. Would your answer be the same if Rommel was, the car, was in the car at the time of the accident? Yes, my answer would be the same. Rommel who was in the car shall be liable for damages if he could have prevented the misfortune by the use of due diligence in supervising his driver but failed to exercise it. In such case, his liability is solidary and uh, with his driver. Actual and compensatory damages. Peter resident of Zebo City Centro Reliable Pera Padala. The amount of 20000 to his daughter Paula for the payment of her tuition fee. Paula went to an RPP branch but was informed that there was no money remitted to her name. Peter inquired from RPP and was informed that there was a computer glitch and the money was credited to another person. Peter and Paula sued RPP for actual damages, moral damages, and exemplary damages. The rule court or the trial court ruled that there was no proof of pecuniary loss to the plaintiffs but awarded moral damages of 20,000 and exemplary damages of 5,000. On appeal, RPP questioned the award of moral and exemplary damages. Is the, real, is the trial court correct in awarding moral and exemplary damages? No, the trial court is not correct in awarding moral and exemplary damages. The damages in this case are prayed for based on the breach of contract committed by RPP in failing to deliver the sum of money for, to Paula. Under the provisions of the Pacific Code in breach of contract, moral damages may be recovered when the defendant acted in bad faith or was guilty of gross negligence amounting to bad faith or in wanton disregard of his contractual obligation. In the same fashion, the warrant, the award, uh, to warrant the award of exemplary damages, the wrongful act must be accomplished by bad faith and an award of damage would be allowed only if the guilty party acted in wanton, fraudulent, reckless or malevolent manner. Bad faith does not simply connote 
bad judgments or negligence. It imports uh, dishonest purpose or some moral obliquity and conscious doing of a wrong, a breach of known duty through some motive or interest or ill will that partakes of the nature of fraud. In this case, however, RPP's uh, uh, breach was due to computer glitch, which uh, it must can be considered as negligence on its part, but definitely does not constitute bad faith or fraud as would warrant the award of moral and exemplary damages. On her third month of pregnancy, Rosemary married to Boy. For reasons known only to her and without informing Boy, went to the clinic of ex, a known abortionist, who for a fee removed and expelled the fetus from her womb. Boy learned of the abortion six months later. A billing of that portion of Section 12 of Article 2 of the 1987 Constitution, which reads, that the state shall equally protect the life of the mother and the life of the unborn from conception, which claims uh, confers a civil personality on the unborn from the moment of conception. Boy filed a case for damages against the apportionists, praying therein that the latter be ordered to pay him 30,000 as indemnity for the death of the fetus, 100,000 as moral damages for the mental anguish and anxiety he suffered, 50,000 as exemplary damages, and 20,000 as nominal damages, and 25,000 as attorney's fees. May actual damages be also recovered? If so, what facts should be alleged and proved? Yes, provided that the pecuniary loss suffered should be substantiated and duly proved. If a pregnant woman passenger of a bus were to suffer an abortion following a vehicular accident due to the gross negligence of the bus driver, may she and her husband claim damages from the bus company for the death of their inborn child? No, the spouses cannot recover actual damages in the form of indemnity for the loss of life of the unborn child. This is because the unborn child is not yet considered a person and the law allows indemnity only for loss of life of person. The mother, however, may recover damages for the bodily injuries he suffered from the loss of the petos, which is considered part of her internal organ. The parents may also recover damages for injuries that are inflicted directly upon them, example moral damages or mental anguish that attended the loss of the unborn child, since there is gross negligence exemplary damages can also be recovered.